All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Driving Theology. This is Mike, and we are heading out as usual. I'm going to turn the air conditioner for a minute. It's a little bit hot. This is the first week in June. I want to say today's June 3rd. Uh, beautiful day, a little bit hot, very sunny. Uh, but not much reason to celebrate these days. Uh, there's a lot of hurt in the world right now that is uh, spreading far and wide. First and foremost is because of COVID-19, an ongoing uh, invisible threat uh, where uh, hundreds of thousands of people have perished uh, most of which are from uh, my home country uh, and then we have the death of yet another uh, innocent black person at the hands of the police uh, Mr. George, George Floyd, I, I got his name a little bit wrong uh, last week. I forgot that his first name was George. Uh, but it's been about nine days uh, since he was killed. Uh, since then, the four policemen have been uh, fired, and one policeman has been charged with third-degree murder. Uh, but that's not... That's not the, the half of it, <laughs> not by close. That has sparked uh, riots in many cities, starting with Minneapolis, where the event happened, uh, but also in many cities throughout America. There have been protests, uh, many peaceful. Some have turned violent uh, throughout the United States, um, protesting police brutality and systemic racism in America. Uh, <clears throat> I have yet to meet a thinking person that doesn't believe that uh, some kind of racism does exist in America, especially uh, as exhibited by the police. Uh, some people deny that racism is still a thing. They think it, it, it was solved with the civil rights uh, movement, and they think uh, people now are just whining who who want to blame somebody for their the troubles of their world. Though that's not impossible, that scenario does happen from time to time with humans everywhere. Uh, we look for a scapegoat, right, uh, for whatever whatever problems we face. Uh, I don't think that's the case this time. I, I, I really believe that there is a deep-seated problem in American society, a deep-seated suspicion that many white Americans have uh, toward uh, people of other races, especially African Americans. It could stem from guilt. Uh, fueled, fueled by the way that we have treated African Americans throughout their history uh, in North America, beginning with uh, slavery 
some 400 or so years ago, uh, and and continuing on through this day. No one would deny that uh, African Americans have have better freedoms in America than they did under slavery, but I don't know anybody who would. Uh, I don't know anybody. First of all, I, I guess the best way to say this is I don't know anybody who is white that would that would want to be black and be treated the way black people are treated in America. Uh, I am white, as white as white comes, I suppose, judging from my DNA test. <laughs> I just got back a piece of white paper, and this is so weird. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but... Uh, and, and I'm also a man, obviously. So I am a middle-aged white male, which is kind of the, the poster child for the oppressor. Um, I hope that I've never lived that way. Um, I have, I have racist tendencies, uh, I think. Uh, I've seen that in myself, and I, I fight that. And uh, I question why I, you know, prejudge people for this or that. Um, I think I think that's kind of human nature. I'm not. I don't want to. What's the word? Excuse myself uh, for any racist tendencies that I do have. Um, but the way it was said today was. Uh, my good friend Jonathan Wilson, uh, who is the founder of Crash uh, Japan, which is a, a relief organization, and who now uh, heads up um, Operation Safe, which is a, an organization that ministers to children who have experienced trauma. Uh, he said it this way. He said, you know, as a, as a white male, uh, he's about my age, um, American as well, married to a Japanese uh, woman. He said it kind of the same way. He said, you know, as a white male, I have experienced racism, but it's almost the opposite of racism in Japan, where where we are, we are looked up to in a sense. Uh, we're, we're given privileges um, that, frankly, we don't ask for in Japan, but we're, we're given them and we enjoy them. And and we we because we are not victims of negative racism, uh, we tend not to fight for those uh, who who are victims of racism because we don't see it and we don't experience it. Uh, that's certainly my case. Not that I haven't experienced any kind of racism at all, but. But the the amount of racism that I've experienced compared to uh, an African American would be ridiculous to even bring up, and so I won't do that. Uh, and I'm afraid that African Americans in Japan uh, do not get the same uh, privileged status uh, often as as white Americans do. I'm afraid that that that. Prejudice against African Americans follows them uh, from 
uh, America, across the ocean to Japan, to some extent. Uh, now, there's a there's a lot of reasons for that. It's not just it's not only out and out racism. It's also movies and music and and Japanese culture and you know th there's a lot of different things that feed into their image of black people. But I, you know I've 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 witnessed uh, kids seeing a black person and just blurting out they're scary, you know, or or just saying in reference to a black person. Yeah, I don't like black people. They're scary. You know, have you ever met one? No, I've never met one, but they're scary. So there is certainly racism uh, and a, a prevalent image of black people in Japan that is unfair uh, and, and just wrong. Um, it's born out of ignorance, and in, in, in a way... Um, Japanese people are are very uh, naive and innocent when it comes to racism because Japan is such a homogenous society. I don't know what percentage of people in Japan are actually ethnic Japanese, but it's got to be in the 90s, is my guess. Uh, whereas where I come from, it's a much different story in America, uh, and I've lived I've lived in a in, in three different. Uh, places, uh, each with a, a uh, somewhat of a unique ethnic identity. Uh, where I lived in St. Louis, uh, St. the city of St. Louis, of course, has a large African-American community, but it's largely uh, closer to the center of the city. I lived out in the suburbs, uh, even in St. Charles, which is across the river, which is a as far as I know, I lived in an all-white neighborhood. I don't think we had any people of color at all. Uh, not not Asian, not Hispanic, not Middle Eastern, uh, not African American, uh, not anything else. Not even a different kind of European. I mean, it, it, it was white, middle-class, you know, working-class Americans in my neighborhood, and I I didn't know anybody else for a long time. <laughs> Uh, but um, living that close to St. Louis, of course, we did have interactions uh, with with uh, black people, and and my parents were products of the '60s, and I think they tried their best uh, to embrace people of all races. Uh, and actually, I would say they did a way better job than average. Um, to, to the point where they they were foster parents as well as a part of their their just their personal ministry and they uh, we had uh, kids living in our house uh, I think we had over 30 foster kids is what I remember by the time I was 13 we had 30 30 different kids living in my house uh, and one one girl was uh, a black girl about my age her name was Latrice Latrice Trice and she has passed. Uh, passed away. She has since passed away. She she died very young. She moved back, uh, I believe, to the projects in St. Louis after she left our house. I think she was with us about a year, a year and a half. And she and I were the best of friends. I mean, we were we were thick as thieves. We had so much fun as kids. Uh, her being my age, and she was a fun, sweet girl. And and we we just had a great time. I, I was probably in 
I don't know, second, third, or fourth grade uh, when she lived with us. But I loved her very much. Uh, she was a sister to me uh, for that time uh, and a very good friend. Um, and then, you know, her family somehow, you know, whatever, I don't, I don't remember the details, but uh, something came together for them and they were able to get her back. And I think, as far as I know, she lived uh, with them from then on. I don't know anything about her life from that time. After that, uh, another two boys uh, came, well, actually one baby came to live with us who was two months old and he was black. Uh, again, from the city, uh, his parents were unable to take care of him uh, and he had an older brother who was 11 uh, and eventually he came to live with us too so we had a two month old baby and then his 11 year old brother also came and lived with us and eventually uh, my family uh, adopted those two boys and they became my brothers and they are still my brothers today uh, they have had a hard time of life in their adulthood for sure uh, but that's a that's a different story all this I, I'm just trying to say that my, my parents did what they could uh, to help uh, other people and and whether or not they did the right things or made the right moves or or even their motives for doing that it it's you know that's kind of water under the bridge that's not what I'm talking about uh, I guess what I'm trying to get at is that uh, they did their best to expose me to people of different races and to teach me uh, to respect people uh, and and to embrace all people. Uh, after that, uh, I may have talked about this before, but we moved uh, out west to New Mexico. And so not only did I have uh, two, uh, actually they're half black, half white, but uh, two biracial brothers... Uh, but now we moved into a children's home where my parents worked full-time uh, that were, I believe they were all Navajo Indian uh, at that time. So I had, you know, probably, I don't know, six to eight, I guess I could count them, but it, it did change over the years we were there. Six to eight Navajo uh, Indian brothers and sisters, uh, foster brothers and sisters, I guess the best way to put that. Uh, and and then my high school that I went to there was probably 25% Hispanic and 50% and Native American. Uh, and then I, I go to college in Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City is kind of a, I guess, kind of halfway between St. Louis and uh, yeah, St. Louis and New Mexico. In, in a lot of ways, I suppose it's it, it has more Native American more uh, Hispanic than St. Louis, uh, but probably fewer African-Americans. I'm not sure. It's a smaller city anyway. But uh, all that to say, um, I had a lot of exposure as a child compared to some white people. Uh, oh, I, I even forgot the time when we went to a, an African-American church for about two and a half years. My dad was in the leadership there. Um, and that, that was a very big influence on me as well. Uh, 
and then, you know, I married my wife who's Japanese, and I, I, I've just never really seen race as a, as something to fear, I guess. It's never been something that I've, um, been taught to fear. Doesn't mean I don't have racist tendencies like everyone else. Um, I do. Uh, anyway, Jonathan's point, sorry, that was a long, needless thing to say probably, but Jonathan's point was that unless we tackle racism head-on as middle-aged white <coughs> men, and I guess that includes sexism and uh, whatever else, unless we tackle it head-on, we are not going to be motivated to to take up the fight of of uh, racism or or whatever what what have you because we are in the point of privilege right that's the, that's the point of white privilege you are born into a position uh, of privilege and so you don't have to face a lot of what the rest of the world has to face this extra extra burden or layer of their life. Uh, that they have to face on a daily basis. And that's the essence of white privilege. It doesn't mean you're rich. Uh, it doesn't mean you were handed your college grades for free. Uh, it doesn't mean a lot of those things. But it does mean that probably uh, if you wanted to be rich, it'd be a little easier. Uh, if you wanted to go to a good college, it'd be a little easier. <coughs> of course, this is not taking into account affirmative action and <coughs> a lot of people will say, well, because of racial quotas, blah, 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 white people actually have a disadvantage today. I'm just going to call BS. I don't have any statistics to back me up, and I haven't seen any to the contrary either. Uh, but just from my experience as a white person, I'm, I'm going to say, yeah, I don't think so. Uh, and even if it was, even if that were the case. I think, you know, belonging to Jesus as we claim to do, we would still want to take up the fight of the disenfranchised and the oppressed. Because that's the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus is to is to help those who cannot help themselves. Or who just need need a helping hand. Sorry, I'm going to drink some water. Uh, yeah, no no coffee today because I, I drank it before I got in the car and didn't have time to make more. I really wanted to. Uh, but I will tell you what I drank today, which is really good. We got a new uh, Man Mandeling, Mandeling. I'm not sure how you want to say that. It's a Indonesian bean. We've had Mandeling in the cafe uh, previously, but we got a better grade bean this time. Uh, G1, grade 1. Sorry, I need a little water. Uh, and I roasted it yesterday and tasted it this morning. And man, it's good. And I, I didn't—I really didn't want it to be good. I'd rather not serve a man, mandolin because I kind of—not kind of—I don't like the way that the 
uh, people of East Papua are being treated by the Indonesians. <clears throat> Wait, East? West? Sorry, West Papua. Totally got that wrong. Uh, the people of West Papua, uh, which is part of Indonesia, are being, in some cases, massacred, enslaved, cheated, exploited uh, by the Indonesian army, and I hate it. I don't like it. However, trying to find a direct link between man Mandolin Coffee and who, who would be hurt and who would benefit by me buying or not buying is really tricky. I wouldn't want to to hurt anybody. Well, I mean, let's face it, our, our little purchase uh, at our tiny cafe is not going to make a difference. Uh, but, it's the principle. It's another people in the world who are being exploited uh, by the oppressors and the powerful. Uh, in this case, uh, they're not white. <laughs> Which is amazing. Usually the oppressors are white, but they're the, the Indonesian government and the army. Uh, and if I can ever find a link, if I could ever figure out the uh, how, you know the direction the money flows from the beans that we buy, I might I might recommend that we stop at some point. But man, this coffee was good. So I got to hand it to whoever whoever picked it, processed it. Uh, they did a great job. It's really good coffee. Uh, darker roast, as, as we usually do. Mandolin, but really good coffee. Back to George Floyd now. <clears throat> last night in our gathering time, which is a Zoom meeting, as it has been the last month or so, we discussed uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 to 22 and uh, in there you have the idea that Christ uh, came to break down the wall of separation between Jews and Gentiles by abolishing the law and the ordinances which is what separated Jew from Gentile <clears throat> wasn't really blood as much as it was the law. Mm. Sorry, my throat's been a little tickly later, lately. Tickly, tickly and prickly. So, in Ephesians, it talks about that the wall of separation was abolished in Christ's flesh, and he's talking about at the cross, and then we were raised up, I'm paraphrasing by the way, we were raised up with him when he was resurrected. <clears throat> uh, and he passed on his authority to us, or actually he shares his authority with us, it's probably a better way to say that I suppose. Uh, yeah, so... The difference between Jew and Gentile, right? What is going on here? 
the difference between Jew and Gentile was the fact that the Jews followed the law, and the laws had, had uh, of course, um, laws of cleanliness, and then if you didn't follow the law, you were considered unclean in most instances, and therefore you could not be in the presence of people who were clean, and therefore Gentiles were unclean by definition because they didn't know or follow the law, and Jews were clean. And so this created this, this separation between the two. But when Paul comes along in Ephesians and he says that the mystery that God has hidden but, it, but that is now revealed is that Gentiles are to share in the inheritance as equal partners with the Jews in God's kingdom. Then of course we have to find a way Right, that we have to figure out how that happens because even though uh, Jewish Christians were now Christian, they were still Jewish. They had not necessarily given up their their Jewishness. They still followed Jewish customs and laws. Uh, Christianity was just a new revelation that existed inside Judaism in in many ways, and so they still would have had these uh, programmed, ingrained uh, questions about, well, if Gentiles are also brought in, what does that mean about the law? <coughs> Excuse me. Do they have to follow the law? Does that mean that they now have to uh, be circumcised and all these kinds of things? And this was all happening, of course, in the first century. All of these things were, were being brought up and questioned and debated and, and in some cases fought over and in some cases caused divisions. Um, but what Paul says in Ephesians is that Christ in his flesh abolished the law. Another way it, it's put is that he fulfilled the law. The law is done. The law was good, but it's now done. It's been fulfilled. Therefore, there is now no reason that Jew and Gentile uh, need to be differentiated, right? Because they are now one and the same. And in fact, uh, in Ephesians it says, Christ became both men, both Jew and Gentile, and then became the new creation, right? Which is the, the combination of Jew and Gentile into one person, creating a new, a new man, a new creation, which is neither Jew nor Gentile. And that that, wow, the river is so brown. Or why? Must be construction of rivers. Uh, and and so Christ created the new man inside of him, and He has brought us into Him, and so He has He has built this new dwelling place of God, the holy temple, with Himself uh, as the chief cornerstone and the apostles as the foundation. And then we are built on top of that, both Jew and Gentile together, uh, as the the um, temple, the dwelling place of the Most High God. And so this, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> sorry, this image uh, is is really cool because. It has two these two ideas of walls, right? The first idea is the dividing wall, the wall that 
that separates uh, men from men, right? And also, in a sense, in other places, it talks about the wall separated man from God. The law separated man from God. But now, he comes in back with a positive image of a wall. This wall is not to keep anybody out. Uh, it's a wall actually made of people to be the dwelling place of God himself. And it is Jew and Gentile. And in fact, it's the way I see it. It's everyone. Nobody's kept outside of that who wants to be a part of it. Nobody is kept outside, right? And so now this wall is not to keep anything out, right, or to separate. It's actually to, to contain the presence of God himself. And uh, what a wonderful image right that that walls need not separate walls can actually be a way to bring us together and that's kind of the image that I get here uh, of <clears throat> of the idea of the temple and that we are the temple being built together right all of us uh, and I can honestly say, even though Ephesians is one of my more favorite books, uh, I haven't always seen Ephesians in the way that I'm currently seeing it as we talk about it and discuss. And my wife is doing a great job uh, leading the leading this study, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's been really great. In uh, there, Jesus also says that He is the peace, right? He is the peace. Uh, he has he has made peace and he has preached peace, both to those who are far far away, far off, which are the Gentiles in both, and, and to those who are near, which are the Jews. And so, <clears throat> this peace that we so desperately need in the states, I can't help but think, uh, is the same peace uh, that Christ has offered. And, and the walls that are keeping us apart, uh, Jesus has already taken care of and has abolished in his flesh. Sorry, my throat's still a little scratchy. It's going to be a hard day. <clears throat> I have a lot of classes today. But I'll do my best. So, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, uh, <clears throat> and probably more of it, I think is a good place for us to start <clears throat> thinking about, you know, is, is there an actual wall between whites and blacks, white people and black people? Is there an actual wall? Or has Christ taken care of that wall? Has he abolished that wall? <laughs> And so whatever we see is something that <clears throat> that separates us is a lie. It's a lie of the devil, a, a lie to confuse us uh, and to, to make us fight against one another. And I think one of the lies is the lie of race itself. Science tells us that race is just an illusion. We are all one race, right, the human race. And so... The, the differences, I suppose, that we see are differences 
uh, also of culture, right? It's not just the color of our skin. The color of our skin also dictates, to some extent, uh, the the um, ways that we tend to live our life, right? Uh, there, there are cultural values where one cult culture values this uh, more than another culture, and vice versa. There's there's diversity in values between different cultures. <clears throat> uh, and I'd say we di we're divided by our stories, right? Uh, the stories that we tell, uh, the stories that white, the things that white people talk about, compared to the things that uh, black people may talk about. Um, so there are a lot of there. There's a lot of diversity in our cultures that means that you know there are there are things that will be alien to me in another culture. Uh, one of the things that was alien to me when I came to Japan about Japanese culture was the fact that people like to get naked and bathe together. And I'm not really talking about, uh, you know, going to the gym kind of thing. This is not working out or anything. Just take your clothes off and, and everybody bathe. Uh, that's the, you know, the idea of Japanese onsen. And that took a long time for me to embrace. <laughs> But had I had I have had some kind of a well, that's wrong. That's not right. Uh, that's that's bad. <clears throat> kind of an attitude. I never would have been able to enjoy it. And in so doing, I would have not understood Japanese people as well as I do. Not that I understand them well, um, but I would have understood them less well uh, had I not have have partaken in some of their uh, cultural activities that are very different uh, from my own activities in my own culture. <coughs> so a lot of it is just this this suspicion we have to get rid of, this uh, unwillingness to try new things, to learn new things about other people, to admit that maybe there's something about another culture that's better than my culture, right? Pride, I suppose, is one of the things, one of the major things that gets in the way and causes racism, right? I'm white, therefore white is better. I'm a man, therefore men are better. <clears throat> or I'm this or whatever. Whatever I am is better than whatever, what other people are, right? Uh, and that's pride, right? Now, systemic racism is sort of like national pride, uh, in a way, uh, or, or, you know, well, racial pride, I guess is the easiest way to say it, where a whole people uh, consider themselves superior uh, to a whole other people based on their language, skin color, <coughs> uh, religion, or citizenship, or whatever. Whatever they decide they want to, you know, use to to divide them. And so I think celebrating the differences between cultures is super important. If I were an educator, uh, well, I am. <laughs> if I were uh, an administrator, a principal, I would think that one of the 
biggest things I could do is celebrate the differences between cultures with kids. Teach kids to celebrate our differences and to embrace our differences. Right? Even be curious. Right? To want to know. To desire to know. <clears throat> and learn about our differences. And, and to get inside them and to try to experience them. I would think that this would go a long way uh, to to dispelling the fears uh some may be natural, but most are taught, I think, <clears throat> that we have about people from other cultures. Uh, and of course, there are going to be personality types that will do better with this, and, and there will be those that don't, right? That's normal. Everything everything we do, you know, personality types are still going to be a problem. But, you know, just because somebody's personality doesn't... <coughs> doesn't go well with math, are we going to start stop teaching math? You know, something like that, so I don't think it necessarily matters <clears throat> uh, because it's normal and that's just one of those things that just is right, it, it exists so I'm about to where I need to get to uh, with my work um I have a feeling we're going to be talking about Mr. George Floyd, uh, his tragic passing, and the continuing racial tensions in the States for some time. I don't know that I got anywhere important <clears throat> today in this podcast, but uh, if, if you, you know, if you remember one thing, try to remember that the things that we're so afraid of in other people are just lies that we have been told uh, by the evil one, uh, and that Christ is, has broken down any anything that might separate us, and he is our peace, and in him we can enjoy uh, peace with people from everywhere and anywhere, any background, any race, culture, creed. Thank you and bye-bye.